I would like to thank you all for joining us this morning as we come together, at least in our hearts, uh, to worship the Lord. Last week, the first thing we did during our worship time was to read Psalm 37. For thousands of years, the Hebrew Psalms have been a source of comfort and encouragement for God's people. So often in the past, I have read the Psalms in a sort of allegorical way, pushing the comfort offered by them out somewhere into the future, to some heavenly time out there that I will someday enjoy. And that is true to some degree, and maybe to a large degree. But with the events of society swirling around and seeming so uncertain right now, I think we all need to embrace the Psalms as messages of comfort and hope for us today. Because we are in Christ today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But we also continued our series by looking at Nehemiah chapter 11. But really only the first two verses. The rest of the chapter consists almost exclusively of a registry of Jews in and around Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day, so we didn't spend a whole lot of time with it, other than I gave you a brief encouragement to sing. Two concepts we considered from the passage were the tithe and the casting of lots. In many ways, these two concepts are either not understood or misunderstood by those of us living in the 21st century. Many of us think of the tithe as any amount of money or goods offered to God. And we think of casting lots as sort of a game of chance, like drawing straws or throwing dice. But in the minds of the Jews of Nehemiah's day, this was certainly not the case. The tithe, which means the tenth was the sacred amount. It was God's 10%. It was holy, and it was not to be interfered with, because this tenth was to be used in holy worship. The casting of lots was not leaving a decision to chance, but leaving it unimpeded to God and God alone. Proverbs 16.33, which I quoted last week, is probably the best idea of this, or the best summary of this idea. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So the 10% of people that were chosen by lot to live in the holy city were sacred, holy, set apart for the work of the Lord, and hand-selected by God to be his people in Jerusalem. Much the same could be said for the Christian today, though it's rarely at the forefront of our thoughts. 
This leaves us today with the second to last chapter of Nehemiah. This is a long chapter, but similar to the past couple of chapters, 10 and 11, a large portion of chapter 12 is made up of a registry of names. In fact, the first 26 verses are lists of names. So we will pick up the reading in chapter 12 and verse 27. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophathites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. Then the priests and Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, and the wall. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall toward the refuse gate. After them went Hoshea and half of the leaders of Judah. And then verse 33 begins to list some of those names. So down to verse 35. And some of the priest's sons with trumpets. And it lists some of those priest's sons who were carrying the trumpets. And that's down to verse, uh, I think, partway through 36. And with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. Verse 37, by the fountain gate, in front of them, they went up the stairs of the city of David on the stairway of the wall beyond the house of David as far as the water gate eastward. The other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way, and I was behind them with half of the people on the wall going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped by the gate of the prison. So the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and half of the rulers with me, and the priests, and it goes on to list the priests, with trumpets, and it lists those that had the trumpets, and so down partway through verse 42, the singers sang loudly with Jezrehiah, the director. Verse 43. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. And at the same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions specified by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. 
In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word this morning. We are grateful that it is true. So often as we live in a culture that is um, seeming to us to be quite dark and in a lot of respects filled with lies and dishonesty, we can go to the wellspring of your word and be refreshed with that which is absolutely, purely true. And so we are grateful for your word this morning. I pray that you would open our eyes and hearts for the principles you would have for us to carry us through the days to come. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to do something completely different today. To be entirely honest with all of you, I am having a tremendous amount of difficulty gleaning from chapters 10, 11, and 12 for sermon material. Out of curiosity, I checked to see what percentage of these three chapters is simply made up of lists of names. And it's about 65% of these three chapters is lists of names. So I could stand up here and read those lists of names to you. And um, I, I, guess that's, I guess that's sermon material, other than I'd probably mispronounce most of them. But um, it, it's, it's just becoming more and more of a challenge. Uh, Thankfully, today ends chapter 12, and uh, next week will be chapter 13, Lord willing, and there's a lot more going on in chapter 13. But anyway, that's, that's the challenge I've been facing the last little while. So today, I'm going to, as much as I can, simply let the text speak entirely for itself. I'm going to try to avoid expounding on any principles we may encounter. I want to leave that <clears throat> as much as I am able with as long-winded as I am, entirely to God's Spirit to speak through His words to your heart individually as I simply represent what the text is giving us as history. With those of you with a good imagination, or for those of you with a good imagination, especially young people that are listening today, let's hop in our time machine and go back 2,500 years to Nehemiah's day in the holy city, the city of Jerusalem, with its rebuilt temple and rebuilt walls, and join these Jewish people in their celebration of God's wonderful work in their midst. For those of you following online, I posted some pictures and maps of ancient Jerusalem so that we could hopefully see in our mind's eye what was taking place on this wonderful day in Jewish history? For those of you that are here, I decided to go with Snapchat. So here's a snap, and we'll chat about it. That's as close as I get to Snapchat. And, and so what we have here is what Jerusalem would have looked like in, uh, in Nehemiah's day. So you have this main area up here with the temple, and then you have this arm that reaches down to, um, to the south. And um, what is happening in today's passage, as we were reading about those two choirs, 
They were down here. There's a set of stairs right down at the very point of Jerusalem. And they went up the stairs, and the first choir headed on this side of the wall, this side toward me, and they were singing and so on as they headed up the wall toward the temple. The other choir went up the stairs, and it says they went the opposite way, so they went up and around here and met the other choir in the courtroom or the courtyard of the temple. So you can see what happened. They all got up on the wall down here, made their way northward, and that's what's happening in this text. So there's my snap chat for you today. So in our text, you can see Nehemiah describes those two choirs and how they were organized and how they went up on the walls of Jerusalem singing and playing instruments in thanksgiving to the Lord. I hope you can hear in your mind's ear these people rejoicing and playing trumpets and harps and cymbals as they sing to the Lord. If you look at the images I sent online, you'll see that the Jerusalem of Nehemiah's day had a series of gates all the way around the walls, and Nehemiah in our text describes as they went past the gates how they, how they made it to the, the, uh, the courtyard of the temple area. So these two choirs are heading in opposite directions, going around, and they're going to meet uh, in the temple courtyard. It says that um, the first choir went along the these steps to the east side of the city, heading north, past the water gate to overlook the temple court. The other choir had quite a bit further to go. When they climbed to the top of the wall, they went the other way. They went along the west side of the city, heading north past the old gate and the fish gate, um, and then east around the temple to join with the other choir overlooking the temple court. All the while, they were singing and playing music and rejoicing and thanking God so that, the scripture says, their sound was heard afar off. It struck me as I was reading this passage that the reason the people rejoiced so greatly was because God had won a tremendous victory for them. They had endured incredible hardship on and off for quite some time and were now given joy by God to celebrate in thanksgiving to their great deliverer. Had they never endured any difficulty, had God not provided them with wonderful victory over their enemies, there may never have been a celebration, rejoicing and thanksgiving to be heard afar off. My prayer, and continues to be for Christian people all over Canada, is that when God gives us victory over the government tyranny we are experiencing right now, that we will not neglect to make a great shout of rejoicing to him and praise him and thank him in song, weeping for joy for his great deliverance. So just briefly to outline this chapter. The first part of the chapter lists the priestly and Levitical families, uh, verses 1 through 11. The priests and the Levites in the days of Zerubbabel and Yeshua, the high priest, are listed. In verses 12 through 21, 
The priests in the days of Joachim, who was the son of Yeshua, are listed. And then in verses 22 through 26, the Levites during the reign of Darius the Persian are listed. By giving these lists of names, Nehemiah is reassuring the people that those that were leading the worship from the wall dedication onward came in a direct Levitical line, or more specifically, through the priestly line of Aaron. He only goes back as far as the Babylonian exiles, because if you'll remember, Ezra, the scribe and priest, had already done the genealogical work leading up to that time. These would be the final genealogies of the Old Testament. The next genealogies we encounter are the genealogies of Jesus Christ given by Matthew and Luke, where both Jesus' paternal and maternal genealogies are given. So let's have a look at this dedication ceremony. Verses 27 through 29, it says that the Levites from all around Judah were gathered together to come to Jerusalem for the dedication ceremony. What a wonderful time of fellowship that would have been. And these Levites, many of them led the people in songs of worship and praise to God. These songs would mostly have been made up of Psalms 65 through 68, but there could have been many others. Let's read Psalm 67 just to get a taste of what was being proclaimed by these singers. Psalm 67, the word of the Lord. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among the Gentiles. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and the ends of the earth shall fear him. What I would like to do now is spend just a few moments in prayer for those folks that have blessed us over the years with the gift of music and song in our church. Many of us have certainly appreciated them, but now that the privilege of being able to gather together to sing praises to our Lord has been stripped away, I think many of us appreciate them to a degree we haven't before. One never seems thirsty till the well runs dry. Let's pray together just for a few moments. Father in heaven, we just want to pause in the midst of this message here this morning. We want to give you thanks for those that have brought to <clears throat> this small group of believers the gift of music by your grace. I want to thank you for Navelle and Sarah and their faithfulness in uh, joining us on the piano week after week for all these years. I pray that you would bless them and their families, that you would draw them close to yourself as the creator of music and one who loves to be praised through music. I want to thank you for Andy and also for his dad that have 
so faithfully over the years, played their guitars for us and have blessed us in that way. And even lately, uh, they have sent me just personally little snippets of, of them playing these wonderful hymns on the guitar. And it's such a blessing to be fed in this way. I want to thank you for Fred and Bev and their family and the song leading that they've done as well over the years and, and the offertories that they have brought. All of this music that we are so blessed with in this body of believers and for the Enns family that have, um, that have joined us over the past years and brought with them their gifts and their joy in celebrating their Savior through music as well. We want to thank you that you have given us music, that it is an expression of who you are as we enjoy worshiping through song and through worship in this way. There have been many others that have brought music over the years, my, my own children and others. Um, we just want to thank you for each one. Thank you for the gift of music and ask that you would restore to us in your mercy and your grace the opportunity to worship through song together again and that we would not take it for granted as we may have in the past. Thank you for each one of these. Bless them. Um, continue to uphold them through these times and give us all a deeper appreciation of the beauty of music that you have given. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These people in Jerusalem used a variety of different instruments. Specifically mentioned in our passage today are cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. But there are about 20 different musical instruments mentioned in the Bible, including the harp, the lyre, which is an ancient type of guitar, horns, which were mostly made from um, ram's horns, um, also trumpets, which seems to be a different one, maybe some sort of instrument made with metal or whatever it is that they made them with, um, flutes, tambourines, drums, Symbols and bells, all the things that your three-year-old got for Christmas this last year. Now, if only they would have had violins and cellos. But that was, that was a later development. We see in verse 30 that before they began this dedication, there was a purification ritual or several purification rituals. The Levites, it says, purified themselves first. They could not effectively lead the people in worship of God unless they walked in purity before the Lord. Then it says that they purified the people. They brought cleansing to the people the way the Bible said to, knowing that only a purified people could really worship and praise God. Without purity... We can't worship God in spirit and in truth, as Jesus commanded in John chapter 4. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 asks, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. The idea here is that we are upright in our actions, 
because we have a heart that has been purified by God. Furthermore, as we reflect on the cross of Christ, we recognize that the only way to receive clean hands and a pure heart is through his shed blood. We don't have to reflect on our lives for very long before we realize we are utterly incapable of attaining purity. It either has to be a gift from the one who is pure, or it cannot be ours. Then it says that they purified their surroundings. We're not entirely sure what this purifying looked like. The text doesn't describe the ritual they went through, but they did go through some sort of purification ritual before the Lord, before these celebrations would take place. Let me leave you with this question to contemplate. How pure is pure enough to enter the presence of God? Is this like running away from a bear where you don't have to be faster than the bear, you only have to be faster than the guy next to you? To enter God's presence, do we only have to be more pure than the guy next to us? We hear the Pharisees say, Lord, I thank you that I am not like this tax collector. And we say in our hearts, Lord, I thank you that I am not like that Pharisee. And now we have fallen into the same trap of self-importance. Or is the standard for purity higher yet? How pure are you? How can you answer that question without losing your purity to pride? I think the only answer is this. My life is hid with Christ in God. So these two choirs lead Jerusalem in joyful praise. The two large choirs were called Thanksgiving choirs. All their praise and all their worship had an essential element of thanksgiving to God. Thanksgiving was at the very foundation of all the celebrations of that day. And it says that God himself gave them rejoicing. This was the work of the Lord. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. When our rejoicing comes, it by necessity should also be a time of thanksgiving to the Lord, for he has done it. Rejoicing without thanksgiving is a mere act of self-congratulations. It would be like these music and movie award shows that seem to happen all of the time, where a bunch of millionaires gather together and give themselves awards for being the best at everything. When we rejoice, and we will rejoice, let it be done from a heart of absolute humility, expressing thankfulness to the one 
who is able to do more than we can ask or think. And no one is excluded from this day of rejoicing. The rejoicing was open to all, old or young, man or woman, priest or laborer, slave or free. There are no exclusions in the family of God. Their worship also was a testimony to everyone around them. The text says that their rejoicing was heard afar off. If any person had an ear to hear, the worship of God's people would testify to his faithfulness, holiness, power, loving kindness, mercy, forgiveness, grace, and love. Finally, what were some closing aspects to this day of joy? It was a day of giving. People brought their offerings, first fruits, and tithes to the storehouses of the Levites, and they did it with joy. There is something, and I don't, I can't put my finger on it, but there is something about seeing God in His glorious victory that inspires a spirit of giving in His people. It is a stark reminder that He is ever faithful that he provides all we need, even when we forget sometimes to acknowledge how good he has been to us. It was a day of purity. There was a cleanness about this time of worship in which God had given them joy. We can sense it plainly when we read the text. The people were truly excited to praise the Lord as they gathered at his house. It was a day of consecration. Holy things were set apart for the Levites and the priests, reminding the people that these leaders were separated unto God. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have trusted him, to save you from sin and give you eternal life, you too are consecrated to God through the purifying blood of his Son, our Lord and King, by the right of his conquering life, death, and resurrection. His is indeed the greatest story ever told because it's true. I hope you look forward, as I do, to the day when the two great choirs of God's people, Jew and Gentile, gather together before the throne of God and the Lamb in heaven to sing a new song, a song of thanksgiving and praise for all he has done to deliver us from this sin-cursed world. We get a little taste of it now, don't we? But when that day comes, we will all feast on God's wonderful grace and be filled forevermore. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, your word is a light of hope to our hearts. We see in it over and over the promises that you give to your people because you are good, because you are faithful. We look forward to that day when we can see our Savior when we can fall at his feet and sing praises of thanksgiving for all he has done 
for us because he has done everything. Thank you that you have, by your grace, given him to us. That you have opened our eyes to see the truth that is found exclusively in Jesus Christ. Give us hearts that dwell in those heavenly places, Ephesians talks about, talks about today, so that we can experience the joy of heaven, the hope of heaven, the light and the freedom of heaven, even down here for a little while. Thank you for giving us a taste of how wonderful it's going to be. Father, we thank you for each person listening and pray that your word and your truth would touch our hearts in a special way, in a way that the Spirit searches out in us. We pray as we close that we, you would go with us by your presence, that you would give us eyes to focus on the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, through the week and beyond. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.